There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome, creeps and peepers, to Scared to Death. I'm hello. Hello. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. Suspend uh, that disbelief. Prepare to entertain the possibility that there is so much more to our world than science can explain. Possibly. Uh, thanks for the continued reviews and ratings online. Each one helps us find new listeners. Uh, almost each one. The five stars help more than the one stars. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> most of them. <laughs> most of them help us find new listeners. I love it. People just start leaving one star reviews. They're like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> A quick merch announcement. Uh, amazing new shirt in the store. Our designer, Logan, calls it simply Possession. And uh, it's awesome. I saw, I saw it. Uh, if I just saw it in the store as a graphic tee, I would just want to get it just, just to wear. Just uh, nothing to do with the podcast. It's a uh, very awesome original design. He's so talented. He's I'm so, so jealous because I, like, I don't have that talent. Mm-hmm. So when I see like every time he sends over new designs, I'm yeah. like, how are you so amazing? Yeah, we just approved a bunch last night. Um, so cool. Badmagicmerch.com for, for those uh, designs and, and uh, time sucks and all kinds of stuff on there. All the things. And now, I, you said you had three stories for I us today. I do, I do, because we discussed, mm-hmm. and we thought that maybe a little bit more bulk right now would be good. Good. So I've got three stories, and I think they're all, each one is pretty spooky. And so okay. I think just like coll- collectively, I think people will walk away like, huh. All right, a lot of, lot of show for you today then. And, uh, and, I, and I have two, and... I don't want to say. I don't want to say if I think they're like more or less scary. I guess I shouldn't okay. do that. So okay. I'll just say I have two. I have, uh, both from the American South. Uh, first up is what many think is uh, a very, maybe one of the most credible reports ever of two men being abducted by aliens. Fuck no. In Mississippi in 1973. Yeah, this one's crazy. But I hate alien abductions. Hate it. You hate might, it. Hate it. You might hate this one the most. Oh, and I'm going to have something to say about this in between. I'll, I'll refrain, but you know where <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I know where you're going. Ugh. The next story comes from West Virginia, way back in 1897. Okay. Uh, when uh, witnessing the ghost of a murder victim was allowed as evidence at that victim's murder trial. Wow. Okay, that's kind of fascinating. So, yeah, just like an interesting little historical thing there. The uh, So the, the first one is the um, Pascagoula abduction and then the Greenbrier ghost. Greenbrier? Oh, 
Okay, so I'm from Cleveland, as like I've said many times. Yeah. I grew up in Parma Heights, and Greenbrier is the name of a middle school really close to where I grew up. Okay, well, and West Virginia just neighbors Ohio as well, right? So it's probably Correct. yeah, common common name out in that area. Oh yeah, I guess I didn't even like think of that. It's probably one of those things actually that's more common than you realize. Sure, but, sure. Oh, uh, there was the Greenbrier Commons, a Greenbrier Middle School. Gosh dang. Gosh dang. Gosh dang. <laughs> memory lane. Let's stay there. Let's let's just talk about childhood memories. <laughs> All right, you ready for this first? There's a little bit of setups. You can get you can get okay. ready. You can get comfortable okay. while, while I set this first one up. I got some pink polka dots on today. Ooh, good, 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 good. And those will those will keep you from being abducted for sure. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh so 19-year-old Calvin Parker had known 42-year-old Charles Hickson for almost a decade since he was in fourth grade. Charles started out as a good friend of Calvin's dad. The two men fished together frequently. Calvin had become good friends with both of Charles' two sons and his daughter. Uh, Their two families had gone on numerous camping trips together over the years. For several years, when the two families lived especially close to each other, they'd often uh, all eaten dinner together. The Parkers and the Hicksons were especially close. And as Calvin grew into young adulthood, he became good friends with his dad's buddy, Charles, who by that point felt like an uncle. Neither man was known by anyone else in the family for being a big storyteller, Neither was known for being particularly fascinated with UFOs or extraterrestrials. Neither was known to be someone who seemed desperate for attention or to be someone who wanted to be famous or infamous. So, when they told the story they told in October of 1973, their friends and families were shocked because it was hard to understand what would motivate the two men, other than it being true, to tell their outrageous story. At the very least, it seemed uh, that these two truly believed what they'd experienced was real. Time now for the tale of the Pascagoula abductions. Young Calvin was just a month away from getting married when he and Charles went fishing on October 11th, 1973. And Charles had just recently helped him get a good job at a shipyard he'd worked at for a few years in Pascagoula. Pascagoula, a small city of just over 20,000 on the Gulf Coast, just 20 miles east of Biloxi and 40 miles west of Mobile, Alabama. On October 11th, a Thursday, the two men got off work at 5 p.m. They left the shipyard, headed to Charles' apartment to grab some fishing supplies. It was around 5.45 p.m. when they walked out the door of Charlie's apartment to go fishing. Charlie told his wife that they'd come back in a couple of hours, and then they hopped into Calvin's car. On the way to the fishing spot on the Pascagoula River, Charlie talked to Calvin about how great this spot was going to be. He said the fishing hole they were heading to was where grain was unloaded from the ship. Sometimes some of the grain would be spilled and the fish would gather under the elevator to eat it. This happened often enough for fish to get used to this spot being a place where they could get a meal and Charlie thought the two of them were bound to catch a ton of fish. But the two men never made it to that fishing hole. Along the way, Charlie wanted to take a quick stop near the Shaw Peter shipyard and try fishing there for just a few minutes. Charlie was a fishing nut and he loved hitting more than one spot in an afternoon or an evening. The man lived for fishing. He'd caught a lot of redfish at this spot before and wanted to see if they were biting today. So the two men parked on a quiet service road about 100 feet from the west bank of the Pascagoula River at around 6 p.m. Oh, boy. Walked to the water's edge and fished until it started to get dark. Mm-hmm. They stayed longer than they'd intended because they didn't catch anything, and Charlie was determined to at least catch one before they moved on. But now they were almost out of daylight, and he wanted to see if they could hit that other spot where the grain was spilt before they called it quits for the night. As it got dark, they started walking back to Calvin's car when the pair saw some blue, hazy lights coming from where they'd parked. No, thank you. At first, they thought it was just the police. Calvin wondered if maybe police were uh, thought they were dumping trash in the area, which apparently was a common activity based on a lot of garbage they'd seen kind of driving to the spot, or if they uh, weren't supposed to have parked where they parked for some reason and he'd need to move his car. 
Then both he and Charlie realized that light they saw was not coming from any cop car. It wasn't coming from a car at all. It was coming from an oval-shaped craft, about eight feet high, fairly long, a craft in the shape, roughly, of a football. Fucking stop! This vehicle, this ship, this whatever it was, was hovering about two feet off of the ground, just floating there. And then all of a sudden, the craft lit up with the brightest, most blinding light you've ever seen. Calvin described it as being as bright as the light of a welder's torch. This powerful light poured out from inside the craft when a door was opened. Oh my god. Calvin would later recall that a wave of intense fear came over him when the bright light hit him. He he wanted to run, but then all of a sudden, he couldn't. He felt paralyzed as three gray-colored, wrinkled-skinned creatures appeared from inside the craft and he was transfixed. Fucking stop it! This was all happening really fast. He and Charlie would later report the three creatures as being around five, six feet tall with stocky builds. They had humanish-shaped bodies, two arms, two legs. They also appeared not to stand on the ground, but to just float a few feet off of the ground. Oh my god. They were gray-colored, somewhat mechanical in their movements. Neither man could detect any facial features. A few moments after first appearing, uh, they were suddenly right in front of Calvin and Charlie. The men didn't remember seeing these things slowly approach them. One moment they were coming out of the ship, the next moment they were right in front of them. One moment they were barely visible, right? And the next they traveled roughly 200 feet. And then these things were grabbing them by their arms. Two of them grabbed Charlie, the third one grabbed Calvin, grabbed him by his left arm. When the thing touched him, he heard and felt what sounded like a a sudden shoot of air. Afterwards, there would be a puncture mark on Calvin's (gasps) left arm where he'd been touched. Oh my God. Charlie would discover later an identical puncture wound on his arm. Calvin got his first good look at the creature's hands. He said they were more like lobster claws than human hands. They had a pincer-like appendage rather than the claw of a crab, or rather like the claw of a crab. He still couldn't distinguish any facial features. And then he felt weightless, floated towards the door of the craft instead of walking. He could see and hear everything, but he couldn't move or speak. Charlie would later report the same experience. They'd both been paralyzed somehow. They floated through the door of the ship, escorted by creatures Calvin later thought might not even be living beings. He wondered if they were mechanical, some sort of robot. And then these things took he and Charlie into separate rooms. Uh Uh-uh. They were each laid out on tables, still paralyzed, still able to see and hear. Around this time, Calvin passed out for a brief period. This is awful. He awoke to witnessing the faceless, gray creature leave his room, and then he heard a clicking sound. He looked up. He still couldn't move his head, but he could move his eyes. He saw the source of the sound, a blue-looking square box about the size of a deck of cards with a silver bottom. It was floating through the air and circling him, making an occasional click sound. Then it stopped clicking. Another being entered the room. This creature was smaller than the creatures that abducted Charlie and Calvin, around the same height, maybe five feet tall, but a much thinner build. Small, thin face, small mouth, big brown eyes. This creature did not seem robotic in any way. Calvin heard a hissing noise and the words, Don't be afraid. Oh my God. Come from this creature, although its lips didn't move. Get the fuck out of here. He suddenly felt like he could hear its thoughts. He somehow knew this thing, knew that he was scared, and it was trying to reassure him that it wouldn't hurt him. Oh my God. After feeling a bit reassured by this thing, something came out of the wall and started circling Calvin's body from his head to his toes. And then this smaller being left the room and one of the larger, faceless, possibly mechanical creatures returned. Grabbed him by his arm again. All of a sudden, Calvin was floating off of the examination table. The thing floating with him, 
back out of the room, back out of the craft, and then suddenly, it seemed instantly, he was standing near the river again. He was standing at almost the exact same spot where he and Charlie first saw the bright lights of the ship, where they were first grabbed, and then almost instantly the creature was back inside the ship. Calvin stood there frozen, mouth open, shell-shocked, his mind trying to process everything that had just happened to him when he heard Charlie's voice. Calvin, Calvin, are you okay? Calvin started to come to his senses and realized he could move again. He looked back at Charlie standing behind him, and he heard what he described as a zipping noise, like the sound of a strong wind blowing. He looked back and saw the craft fly straight up and then quickly disappear from sight. Holy shit. Charlie saw it leave as well. Both men felt very weak and could barely stand. Charlie said, let's sit down a little while, and they quickly found a log, sat on it. Both men were silent for several minutes, their minds racing, trying to understand what had just happened to them, their bodies slowly recovering from whatever had paralyzed them. Calvin then told Charlie, let us not dare tell anyone about this, and then he agreed. After sitting for a few additional minutes, the two men got up, walked over to Calvin's car. When they got close, they noticed the windows on the passenger side of the car were shattered but still in place, not yet falling out. Oh, God. The driver's side was fine. Was all of this from being too close to that ship? When Charlie went to open the front passenger door, the glass fell out. When Calvin sat inside, he couldn't at first get his car to start. After a few minutes, they did get it running, drove to a local bar where Charlie grabbed a beer. Oh, yeah. After thinking about it a bit, Charlie decided they should call the local uh, Keesler Air Force Base, and Calvin reluctantly agreed. Whoever Charlie spoke to told him there was nothing they could do with this information and advised him to call the sheriff's office. That's exactly what he did. Weird. Ten minutes later, a deputy arrived who examined Calvin's car, and then Charlie and Calvin followed him down to the station to give an official statement about what they saw. They were questioned by Sheriff Fred Diamond after being left by themselves in an interrogation room where their conversation was secretly recorded. That recording sat in a file for decades, and then a British ufologist, Philip Mantle, was able to get the recording, and the audio is available online of what Clark and Calvin said to each other alone in that room. Here's a little transcript, a little uh, p- part of what they said. Yeah. So Calvin, I, I got to get home and get to bed or get some nerve pills or see the doctor or something. I can't stand it. I'm about to go half crazy. Then Charlie, I'll tell you when we're through, I'll, I'll get you something to settle you down so you can get some damn sleep. I, I can't sleep yet like it is. I'm, I'm just damn near crazy. Well, Calvin, when they, when they brought you out, when they brought me out of that thing, God damn it, I, I, like, I, like I never in hell got you straightened out. My, my damn arms, my damn arms. I remember they just froze up and I couldn't move like I stepped on a damn rattlesnake. They didn't do me that way. I passed out. I expect I never passed out my whole life. I've never seen nothing like it before in my life. You can't make people believe. I don't want to keep sitting here. I, I want to see a doctor. They better wake up and start believing. They better start believing. You see how that damn door came right up? I, I, I don't know how it opened, son. I don't know. It just laid up and just like those sons of bitches, like they just come out. I know you can't believe it. You can't make people believe it. I paralyzed right then. I couldn't move. They won't believe it. They're going to believe it one of these days. Might be too late. I knew all along there was people from other worlds up there. I knew all along. I just never thought it would happen to me. You know yourself I don't drink. I know that, son. When I get to the house, I'm going to get me another drink. Make me sleep. Look, what we sitting around for? I got to go tell Blanche. What we waiting for? I got to get to the house. I'm getting sick. I got to get out of here. It's hard to believe. God, it's awful. So that's the audio of these guys talking to each other. That somehow freaks me out more. Seeing that the police were skeptical of their story, Calvin and Charlie both took lie detector tests, passed them both. Calvin also checked into a local hospital a few days later for what was described as an emotional breakdown. Mm -hmm. The local press got word of their story quickly, 
And, uh, you know, it spread around, soon became, uh, you know, uh, leaked out to the national press. They ran with it. Both men became, uh, you know, got a lot of notoriety. Mm -hmm. And then they became obsessed with extraterrestrials after that. Many years later, both would write books about this experience. Charlie would die September 9th, 2011 at the age of 80, and he never strayed once from his story. Calvin still gives interviews interviews about the, about the abduction today. And recently, this crazy story got a lot more credible. Oh, God, why? In 2019, thanks to additional research into this abduction story by other ufologists, three additional witnesses came forward. I, I don't want that. All three uh, say they saw some sort of flying object with the bright blue light at the same time in the same area as Charlie and Calvin all those years ago. Maria and Jerry Blair of Theodore, Alabama, were sitting in their 1969 Pontiac GTO in the parking lot of Graham's Seafood on the opposite side of the river as to where Calvin and Charlie were fishing that night. Jerry worked for this business, was waiting on a boat captain to take him offshore. The captain was late, and the Blairs waited for hours. Just as it got dark, Maria saw something strange. She said, I was looking at the sky and noticed a blue light in the sky over where they were fishing. It started moving, and it seemed like it was following along the Pascagoula River. I just seen the lights on it. It was just going back and forth. Sometimes it would just sit there. It went on for 20, 25 minutes. Maria said she initially thought it was a plane, but realized the flight pattern and hovering were not indicative of a plane. Jerry watched it also, but didn't think much of it. I thought it was a helicopter initially and just blew it off, Jerry said. It landed about 150 to 200 yards from us. Later that same evening, Judy Branning was sitting in a car a few miles away at a traffic signal with her roommate and their dates. We were on a double date that night, Branning said. We were at a red light at Chicot and Highway 90, and we were basically sitting on the railroad track. I saw some lights, and I wasn't sure what I was looking at because it was so far away. Like the Blairs, Brandy thought it was an airplane at first. But as it came closer and flew over the car she was in, the four realized it wasn't. It didn't make noise, Brandy said. It had bright, bright lights. It got closer, and it was hovering. It was kind of a saucer shape or disc shape with a rounded top. The radio started sounding like it was running through all the stations very quickly, and then the car went dead. We were freaking out. Oh my God, I would lose it. Brandon said after I passed over the car, the craft shot straight up at a rate of speed she'd never seen and then disappeared, and it left her shaken. Oh my God. She said, I didn't sleep that night thinking about it. And then after seeing the public ridicule that Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker endured after sharing their story, these three and who knows how many others stayed quiet for all these years. So were Calvin and Charlie actually taken into a spaceship and examined that night? Their story is, according to numerous ufologists, one of the most credible accounts ever of alien abduction. I hate all of this so much. Yeek. I hate it so much. I hate it. <laughs> I know you hate alien stories. I hate it. I hate it. I've hated like alien UFO things. I like have a very distinct memory of being about 16. I had a boyfriend who thought it was hilarious. Because he knew, like, I didn't even realize I was scared of those things yeah. until, like, one night, you know, you're, like, young, you're on the phone, staying up late, whatever, sure. like, chit-chatting, and he said something about aliens, and I was like, nope. <laughs> and ever since then, I'm, no, just, I'm hard yeah. out on the aliens. Yeah. Because it, it, of all the things, like, for some reason, I can kind of deal with entities, right? Because I'm like, okay, that's probably someone that like passed on, yeah. someone who's here that's no longer here. I hope that they could be good. Like, What about like a demon though or something if you believe in those? Well, I, I do believe that demons are a possibility, but I still think that it's like someone who's passed on. I don't think that... Oh. I, I just don't know that I can get myself to believe that demons are just created 
But they're, they're their own thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm, thank okay. you. I'm, I didn't sleep well, so <laughs> words are hard. Um, but when it comes to aliens, they just don't feel like they have any relation to human life. Mm. So it doesn't feel like, uh, okay, an alien is someone who's been abducted and now is taken up there and has been transformed. They just feel like their own thing. They feel so foreign to me. I feel so like detached from it that it freaks me out because i can't huh. seem to like place where it would come from or how did it get there like you know me i really think things are kind of black and white and so yeah. aliens are quite literally in the gray area for me and that's so hard for my brain to comprehend okay and but they also somehow feel like one of the most realistic things that could happen right like, even though i'm constantly freaked out that there's something in our house i never <laughs> think it's an alien i don't right. think i'm going to be abducted by an alien yeah but when i hear these stories i'm like fuck, I really think that could happen. I mean, obviously, I think all these things could happen, yeah. but I give more credit right. to aliens. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, an, and I can't believe I, uh, yeah, big thanks to to Sophie for finding this. I had never heard of this story. Um, let's get some pictures. This is, this first one is Charlie and Calvin when they were interviewed initially back in 1973. Just to, just to give hey, a look of who yeah. they are. Two dudes. Two dudes who love fishing. Two, uh, two fishermen. Two, two, fish, two fishing guys. Two men of fishing. And then uh, this next one is also 1973. This is a little bit later. This is, you know, Charlie or Charles, whatever, uh, at the site of the abduction. So just okay. to give a, you know, where they were on the riverbanks there. Sure. Something totally normal. Yep. And then this is Calvin in 2019 standing uh, near this same site. Okay. You know, Charlie, of course, had passed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then uh, this is, this next one, this is Jerry and Maria Blair. So these are the people who oh, admitted yeah. seeing something similar in 2019. Okay, okay. And again, you know, it it's not, not so long to come out about I that. I know, I know. But I guess, you know, if you were just like, if you'd seen these other two locals get um, portrayed as crackpots. Yeah. And you don't want your neighbors thinking that you, I, I do get it. I, I get I why I get they, it. It's just so long. You're right, Like, right. you didn't wait five years. You didn't wait one year. Well, also, I don't think anybody came after the initial investigation faded away. It's not like people were constantly hitting up people for stories. Mm -hmm. Then it was more recently that investigators went back there and were trying to put, put this together. Okay. And so they okay. probably just, you know, first time they've been contacted in many years regarding this. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, and then and then this uh, next one, this is an artist depiction based on Calvin and Charles's accounts of what this creature may have looked like. Just really? like, like the mechanical thing, just like a faceless. And here's a little statue, this next one. This is maybe a better. That's not what I pictured. I mean, and again, this is very rough. They didn't give up, like, like that looks kind of silly. But like, it is but silly. Like, but like a robot. Like, th these are the entities that came out, like, um, mechanical, robotic, just kind of devoid of many features. I hate to say, but if that thing came out of a spaceship for me, I think I would laugh. I know, isn't that funny? But it, it might be like the. Um, I'm sure it's one of those things that you can't quite describe. Right. And then in real life, it would be scary. But yeah, that looks like well, a and, 1950s, and like, also, yeah, yeah. Like kind of like B sci fi movie figure, but it was the, it was the only thing I could find. Well, oh, and also, I think like, you know, if I'm describing to you something, yeah. I'm not an artist and you are, yeah. it, it, it gets lost sure, a little bit. Sure. And then there's artistic interpretation and free license. I know this, that is pretty funny where, yeah, depending on how it looks. I expect it to go, be doo, be doo, be doo, be doo. Yeah. Danger, will da I can't remember this like this old, ah, uh, this old sci-fi show from like the fifties. Danger, Will Robertson. Danger. Anyway, what? It's a very old reference that I'm not even quickly correctly hitting. You're very old, apparently. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the show. Is this silly 1950s? Anyway, is that it? That's it. That's it. I I was waiting for a joke. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't do it all the time. Well, also, I thought you'd you do like a Calvin and Hobbes thing. 
Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, because Calvin was isn't there. Isn't it Calvin? Oh, he was. So Cal- I was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you would do like a funny. <laughs> oh man! Gosh dang! Gosh dang! You missed your moment. Well, I just never. I, I, I yeah. I just yeah, gotta. I gotta I play know. around with it. I know. Okay, can we discuss for a minute why that story was particularly rough for yes. me today? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, now, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. As you guys know, I'm having a hard time sleeping, mm-hmm. and I don't. Dan says that this is. It's been like this forever. It's been constant. I would beg to differ. <laughs> I in the beginning, I was falling apart, and then I had a very long stint a good of run, being of, of okay, like months mm-hmm. uh, of being okay, and we've discussed this recently. I do think that it is the added stress of everything in the world right now. Like I'm mm-hmm. actually trying actively to read the news less, to just right. like I listen to like a few morning podcasts that are short and brief. Like, you're, hey, you're a sponge, and if there's and if there's stress around you, then you become stressed. Yeah, you absorb your environment more than me. Yes, you're, I like, do. you're like a frog. That way, you really, I hate frogs. I know you hate frogs, say that. but frogs they use them as like um, kind of like indicators of environmental you know, possible calamities down the road where their skin is very thin and can take in like chemicals from the air or whatever and they will die before we would die kind of thing. I feel like you're... Did you just give me a death sentence? No, but you have like that, like the thin psychic skin or something where you get, you just get scared easy if there's scary stuff around you. Or... And also, I am particularly more open than you are to these things being real. So, Well, what I like to do, and I wish you could do this, I take all this, hold on, I take all my fears and most of my feelings and I just stuff them down inside and try and forget about them. Because, why? Because that's, then it's easier for me to live. Uh-huh. Just, just. How what, elevated what, of you. What you need to do is you need to take, the, take your feelings and your fears and you just push them down and you just pretend they're not there and you just kind of numb yourself a little bit. Which one of us has gone to therapy? You. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which one of us is more emotionally evolved? Uh, I hesitate to say evolved, but more, more in touch. Yes. I would, which, say, which, I would say they're one in the same. But which one of us just doesn't get scared as much? This guy. Uh-huh. Which, which one of us has deeper, more personal relationships with people? Y- you. Okay. Cause, which, cause one, which, one of us sh- is, which one of us is better suited to psych- uh, psychologically handle the apocalypse? This guy. Yeah, this isn't an apocalypse, babe. Yeah, but it could be. <laughs> it's not. It's a pandemic. Don't well, it, don't well, be a fucking fear monger. I don't think I don't think it is. But if it were, I'd be okay. Okay, but me being a chameleon, mm-hmm. being able to morph and absorb, don't you think I would just absorb the new situation and morph into what I needed to be? No, nah, I think you'd break. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> cool. No, no, we don't want to spend you. too too long on no, this, this yes, thing. Yeah, I, I wasn't going down okay, the rabbit sorry, hole until sorry. you interjected okay okay so the so i've it's been hard to sleep but mm-hmm. i've yeah like whatever i'm not keeping dan up after we had our little tiff i think it was like last week or two weeks ago about like i just need to know that if i got freaked out i could wake you up because mm-hmm. previously you said leave me the fuck alone and now i said you could yes and and i haven't not once have i woken you up not nothing yeah okay and then yesterday dan was like oh we should like watch a show together as a family let's mm-hmm. find like a new series and he suggested Stranger Things. Which is a show for kids that kids can handle. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. fine. Actually sounds great. And then I was like, wait a second. Am I going to be freaked out? Is it scary? Like, I don't want anything mm-hmm. scary. I don't want anything spooky, spoopy, whatever the fucking words are. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't, like, I am I already do this. And yeah. I have to read through stories every day to find the ones yeah. for the, like, I'm good. And Dan was like, no, you'll be fine. It's totally fine. You'll be okay. What fucking happens in the first God-blessed episode? There's a, there's, a, there's a effing shadow creature. 
thing like yes yes there's that black shadowy thing Mm -hmm. and then someone is abducted abducted there's an Mm -hmm. alien fucking abduction the thing that i hate most Mm -hmm. i know i don't don't think it's that scary i've seen it before i just i just and i I don't want to feed your fear that's why i was being like not as to them because i don't want to get to a place where i'm like now you gotta skip this sesame street episode this is count chocolate shows up or where (laughs) you're so lucky that we can't stop recording because I would get the fuck up and leave this studio. Oh, come on. Come on. Okay, let's get to the next story. Oh, I'm so mad at you. I just don't want you to be too, too much of a scaredy cat. You should, but let, just let me be scared. Just like let, let me work through my emotions and then okay. it'll go away. That's what we did before. You let me be upset. You let me be scared. Okay. You let me be nervous. And then it was okay. 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 All okay. Right. All right. Let's talk about it more then. Um. <laughs> okay. Let's get to- to this next one uh can the ghost of someone come back i love you i love you too there are over 75 million monthly tubi viewers that's more people than there are in france which means tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast it's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination more popular than loving political revolutions more popular than mer and mer somehow being different words Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. There's a story behind every murder, but is there an ending? That's the question being asked by Murder True Crime Stories, a Crime House original podcast powered by Pave Studios. I'm Carter Roy. Join me every Tuesday as I tell the story of a famous solved or unsolved murder. Each episode dives into the darkest corners of true crime, unraveling chilling narratives, examining compelling clues, and most importantly, seeking the truth. What sets murder true crime stories apart is the focus on humanizing the victims and the effect their deaths had on their families, friends, and community. We'll always leave with the knowledge of why their stories need to be heard. New episodes release every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Murder Colon True Crime Stories. Can the ghost of someone come back and help capture their own murderer? So there's a little setup here, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, is, exa- this sounds fascinating. I'm really interested this is just, in this. I will say, I don't want to spoil this one. There's going to be more scary. This one is more interesting than scary. But I think it's it's worth uh, you know having in the show here. Because this is exactly what a lot of people think happened in Greenbrier County, West Virginia in 1897. Named for its fertile soil, the Richlands, a small unincorporated community in Greenbrier County, west of Lewisburg, West Virginia, is rural and a remote area. Greenbrier County only has about 35,000 people in the entire county today, had a lot less over 100 years ago. Settled by Scotch-Irish immigrants beginning in the mid-1700s, the Richlands became a little world within a world, extremely clannish. You grew up there, your parents grew up there, or you were an outsider. If you were local, everyone knew who your parents were, who their parents were, and how your family made its money. 
cooperation and feuds abounded in equal measure with both ancient alliances and ancient hatreds running deep. The area is only about 30, 40 miles from where the infamous Hatfield-McCoy feud took place. And in 1896, a young woman in her early 20s named Elva Zona Heaster lived in this area with her mother, Mary Jane Heaster. Elva, who everyone called Zona, had recently experienced the downside of living in such a close-knit community. In 1895, she'd given birth to a child out of wedlock who she'd gave, uh, give, given up at an or- to an orphanage. The gossip and slander was vicious, and Zona mostly kept to herself after this fall in social standing. Uh, helping her mother with their house, minding her own business, she worried that she was destined for the life of an old maid, unwanted and alone. Then the rare stranger appeared in town. Zona met him at the blacksmith shop where she went in to purchase some small piece of equipment. He was good looking, charismatic. He bragged about lots of adventures he'd gone on before he'd become a blacksmith in the nearby town of Pocahontas, West Virginia. And he didn't know about Zona's recent past. She was captivated by him. She'd lived her entire life in the same town, talking to the same people, hearing the same stories. The stranger introduced himself as Edward, said most people called him Trout. Zona was smitten, found an excuse to visit him at the blacksmith shop almost every day. Edward was equally smitten with her with Zona. She was beautiful, an unwed young woman in an area where those were hard to come by. A couple weeks later, the two were engaged. Oh, fast. Mm-hmm. Real fast. Shortly after that, on October 20th, 1896, the two were married. And Zona's mother, Mary Jane, was not pleased. Something bothered her about Edward right from the start. She just didn't trust him. Was it because she was overly clannish? She'd always been wary of strangers, people with no connections to the area. Maybe that's all that bothered her. Or maybe it was something else. Something just seemed off about Edward, and she warned Zona not to marry him, but her daughter wouldn't listen. Zona was overjoyed to be, mar- to be married. She was eager to restore the status she'd lost in her community by having that baby. After they were married, Edward and Zona moved into a house in Livesay's Mill on the other side of Greenbrier County, where they lived for three months. And then on January 23rd, 1897, Edward stopped by the home of a local woman named Martha Jones. He asked Martha if her son Anderson could come over to his house to do chores and see if Zona needed anything from the store since she'd recently been feeling sick. And when the 11-year-old boy got to the house, he immediately saw that Zona needed far more help than he could give her. Oh, boy. She was dead. Oh. Zona's body lay at the bottom of the stairs. She lay with her legs straight out and her hands in her lap. It looked as if she'd fallen down those stairs and broken her neck. Anderson ran off, fetched both the doctor and Edward. By the time the doctor arrived, Edward had already carried his wife's body to their bedroom where he'd put her on the bed. He'd also changed her clothes. That's weird. The doctor thought this was unusual. Usually, uh, since there was uh, no practicing mortician in the community, the women typically washed and dressed a corpse for a funeral. But Edward had taken it upon himself to dress her in a high neck dress with a stiff collar. Mm, I don't like that. He'd also placed a veil over Zona's face. And remained by her corpse while Dr. Knapp examined it, cradling his wife's head and sobbing. Dr. Knapp thought he ought to give the widower his privacy, and he concluded his examination, chalking the death up to everlasting faint. He later changed the cause of death to childbirth, though Zona wasn't known to be pregnant. He thought perhaps she was pregnant, and that caused her to faint, and the fainting caused her to fall down the stairs and break her neck. As was the custom, Edward then held a wake in his home. Mourners gathered to pay respects, but the grieving husband wouldn't allow anyone near her head. Instead, he fussed with her scarf, added that veil, propped her head up with the pillows, claimed he wanted to make her comfortable. The next day, Zona's body was taken 14 miles across the valley to her childhood home on Little Sewell Mountain and buried three days later. 
After the wake, Mary Jane took the sheet from inside the coffin and tried to return it to Edward, but he refused. Folding it back up to put it away, she noticed that it had a peculiar odor, so she washed it out. Mary Jane dropped the sheet into the wash basin, and when she did, the water inside turned red. Oh. Though there hadn't been any red on the sheet. Strangely, a few moments later, the sheet turned pink, and the color in the water disappeared. Mary Jane then boiled the sheet, hung it outside for several days, but the stain could not be removed. She felt that all of this was some kind of omen. Mm-hmm. And she was convinced it was a message. And maybe she was right. Time now for the tale of the Greenbrier ghost. A few nights after Zona's burial, as her mother Mary Jane lay awake in her bed, unable to sleep, her room filled with a brilliant orb of white light. In a flash, the light took a human shape, and Mary Jane clearly saw the ghost of her daughter standing at the foot of her bed. Then she heard Zona's ghost speak. Please help me, it pleaded. You have to help me or I'll get away with this. Oh my God. Zona's ghost proceeded to tell her mother that Edward was a cruel man who began to beat her as soon as they were married and moved in together. Uh. And then Zona's spirit disappeared. The next night, she came back with more information. Zona's ghost said that on January 22nd, when he'd come home and found out that she hadn't cooked any meat for dinner, Edward flew into a fit of rage and began hitting her. Then he strangled her, threw her down the stairs to make it look accidental. As Zona's ghost relayed this, Mary Jane said the ghost twisted her neck around until her face faced behind her body. <sighs> and then the spirit's spirit vanished again. The next two nights, Zona's spirit returned, always appearing near midnight, telling Mary Jane more about Edward. The spirit told her that Edward's real name was Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. The spirit told her that Zona had been far from his first wife before she was killed between some of her new neighbors and from a few things that Edward had let slip, Zona had learned that Edward had married Allie Esteline Cutlip in 1885, and the couple had a child, Gerda Lucretia. Shu beat his wife, Esty, so badly that a group of vigilantes dragged him out of bed one winter night and threw him in the ice in the Greenbrier River. That marriage ended in divorce four years later, while Edward was in a state penitentiary serving time for horse theft. Oh. Then in June of 1894, Edward married again, this time to Lucy Ann Tritt. They lived with his parents on Droop Mountain, but suddenly, eight months after their wedding, Lucy died. A tragic accident, everyone thought. Soon after, Edward left Droop Mountain forever. Zona's ghost told her mother that Edward had killed Lucy just like he'd killed her. With one wife cold in the ground, Edward thought he could get away with anything. And he will, if you don't bring him to justice. Zona's ghost told Mary Jane and then disappeared forever. Mary Jane went to the Honorable John Alfred Preston, prosecuting attorney for Greenbrier County, told him about her daughter's ghost. Preston unsurprisingly dismissed Mary Jane's story until Mary Jane mentioned that there hadn't even been an autopsy. Mary Jane insisted that if they examined the body, they would see that her poor daughter had been strangled to death and thrown down the stairs. Preston went to see Dr. Knapp, the physician who examined the corpse. Knapp admitted that because the husband had exhibited such distress over anyone touching Zona's body, that his examination had been cursory. He also told the judge that Edward had already dressed his wife himself before Knapp got there in a high-necked gown with a big scarf around her neck. Preston and Knapp together agreed that an autopsy would put this tragic accident or murder behind them once and for all, and they decided to honor Mary Jane's wish and, you know, disinter the corpse. Okay. And then they were shocked by what they saw. She had clearly been viciously strangled. On the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked, reported the local Pocahontas Times, that the neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. 
The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front on the neck. Edward was charged with murder and jailed in Lewisburg to await trial. They will not be able to prove I did it, he claimed. He felt that Mary Jane was clearly insane and that stories from a ghost could not be counted as real evidence. But he had to have wondered, how did Mary Jane know everything about his past? How did she guess the exact method of her daughter's death? Mary Jane would testify in court about the ghost of Zona, and this is from that trial's transcript. So this is the prosecutor talking to Mary Jane. I have heard that you had some dream or vision which led to this post-mortem examination. Mary Jane, they saw enough themselves without telling me. It was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad, and she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. But she said she had plenty and said she had butter and apple butter, apples and named over two or three kinds of jellies, pears and cherries and raspberry jelly. And she says I had plenty. She says, don't you think that he was mad and just took down all my nice things and packed them away and just ruined them. And she told me where I could look down back of Aunt Martha Jones in the meadow in a rocky place. that I could could look in a cellar behind some loose plank and see. It was a square log house, and it was hewed up to the square. And she said for me to look right at the right-hand side of the door as you go in, and at the right-hand corner as you go in. Well, I saw the place just exactly as she told me, and I saw blood right there where she told me. And she told me something about the meat every night she came, just as she did the first night. She came four times and four nights, but the second night she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint was just like she told me. And the prosecutor says, now, Mrs. Heaster, this sad affair was particularly impressed upon your mind, and there was not a moment during your waking hours that you did not dwell upon it. No, sir, and there is not yet either. And was this not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? No, sir, it was no dream, for I was as wide awake as I ever was. Then if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? I prayed to the Lord that she might come back and tell me what had happened, and I prayed that she might come herself and tell on him. Do you think that you actually saw her in flesh and blood? Yes, sir, I do. I told him the very dress that she was killed in. And when she went to leave me, she turned her head completely around and looked at me like she wanted me to know all about it. And the very next time she came back and she told me all about it. The first time she came, she seemed that she did not want to tell as much about it as she did afterwards. The last night she was there, she told me that she did everything she could do. And I'm satisfied that she did do all that, too. Now, Mrs. Heaster... Don't you know that these visions, as you term them or describe them, were nothing more or less than four dreams founded upon your distress? No, I don't know it. The Lord sent her to tell me it. I was the only friend that she knew she could tell and put any confidence in it. I was the nearest one to her. He gave me a ring that he pretended that she wanted me to have, but I don't know what dead woman he might have taken it off of. I wanted her own ring, and he would not let me have it. Mrs. Heaster, are you positively sure that these are not four dreams? Yes, sir, it was not a dream. I don't dream when I'm wide awake, to be sure. And I know I saw her right there with me. So after hearing Mary Jane's testimony, after hearing the doctor testify to the strangulation marks, after hearing from a few witnesses who corroborated Mary Jane's information about Edward's past, the jury deliberated for only an hour and ten minutes and then returned a verdict of guilty. Wow. Edward was sentenced to life in state prison. He was taken by train to the state prison in Moundsville, where he died of an unknown disease less than three years later on the 1st of March, 1900. (laughs) And the legacy of the Greenbrier ghost lives on as the only case in West Virginia in which the testimony of a ghost was considered as evidence. The state of West Virginia has erected a state historical marker near the cemetery in which Zona Shoe is buried, and it reads, Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. 
Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison, only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. What? That's so crazy. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy story? What? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, for these kind of stories, definitely like a good ending in the yeah. sense that, you know, got her killer. Well, just so you know, if you kill me. <laughs> your ghost is coming back? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't doubt for a second that your ghost would come back. For sure. Uh, this first picture, This let's get a picture of Zone and Edward. Okay. Sometimes you don't have pictures of people from back then. Oh, yeah. They're so, both really attractive. So that's like a wedding photo. Yeah. And then this next one is a little bit better. I don't know. I mean, they weren't together that long, but okay. it's like more of like a random picture of the two. Okay. Um, this is the best picture I could find of the mom. Uh, not great, but the only one that seems to be on the web of Mary Jane Heaster. Okay. And then this last one is, uh, I think it was printed in the papers at the time. It's just an illustration of, you know, the ghosts, kind of old timey, oh, okay. you know, yeah. the ghost docket or whatever. Yeah. But that's all the all the pictures uh, from that. But yeah, definitely thought it was a cool story. Not as like, oh my God, edge of your seat is some of the ones we, but I, but I just like that those stories, like both of the ones today, I feel like make the whole catalog of stories we talk about scarier. Right. Because they just seem more credible than maybe some other stories. Right. I, yeah. I don't disagree. Yeah. I had hardcore chills during that story. Yeah, weird. It was weird. weird. I don't know why. I wasn't scared, but it just like felt. Yeah, weird that there's a state historical marker. I know. Uh, Good for her, Zona. <laughs> I know. It's a weird story. It's yeah. bizarre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm still thinking about alien abductions. <laughs> I know. And, and just for the record, just so you know, last night we watched, I'd seen Stranger Things before. I didn't think of it as... Uh, Alien abduction. I just don't want to give too many things away. I've already given you That's a little, okay. and I don't want to spoil it from yeah. people. But these stories I had put together before we made that decision. So it's I not know. like we heard that you got freaked out, and then I'm like, oh, this will make it even worse. I know, because I know you're not an idiot, and I know you'd like to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So meanwhile, I mean, I will say, like, last night I chugged a vodka <laughs> before bed because I was like, I just need to pass out. And I did sleep pretty hard until the you middle did. of the I mean, I got up, as I always do, middle of the night, restroom break, Yeah. <laughs> back to bed. I slept okay. I didn't even. Okay. You know, Dan and I have been doing like a little dance at night where I, <laughs> I decided that I would be oh, safer yeah. on his side of the bed. Which, and I am good about I give you whatever side of the bed you want. Just it, admit. I admit that for two nights I slept on the other side, and for whatever reason that just gave me some sort of like you know comfort yeah. or I don't know like I wanted to be further away from the door. Maybe like <laughs> the ghost spirit in our house is in the closet and it's calling me. I mean I don't know why I wanted to be on that side. It did help last night. I didn't want to say anything to you, but when we spooned last night, it was like a triple spoon. It was you, oh, yeah. me, ghost. I was spooning the ghost, and you were spooning me. So, that's nice. I thought mm-hmm. you were going to say I was spooning the dogs, because I was. Well, that's, that's reality. Yeah, we were spooning the dogs. Sometimes it's a four spoon. <laughs> it's like Sometimes Penny, it is Ginger, Lindsay, Dan. It is ridiculous how the dogs have become like human. That's like so cute. It, it, it's so ridiculous where there has been moments where it is like me... You, and then one of the dogs being spooned like a human, mm-hmm. and then that dog spooning the other dog like a human. It's, it's so cute. Ridiculous, yeah. Sometimes I wish we could have a photographer in our bedroom for just like <laughs> one minute at night, because it's so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I also like it when it's like Dan, dog, Lindsay, dog. Yeah, it's, or it's like Dan, it's dog, dog, Lindsay. And uh-huh. sometimes it's like a big heart. It's like you and I on the outside facing each other, and then uh-huh. two little dogs in the middle. Yep. It's the best. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, so are you ready for three great stories this week? I am. Okay. You got your squishy? Yeah, I do. Gotta make sure you're ready. Okay. 
Greetings, Lord and Queen of the Suck, Masters of the Scared. I'm a longtime listener of Time Suck and just started listening to your Scared to Death podcast. I listened to almost every episode in one day. That is impressive. Wow, yeah, I binged. Yeah. I have a story about shadow people that I think you will find quite interesting. A little long, so I apologize. I have lived in Fargo, North Dakota almost my entire life. In 2011, when I was 19 years old, I moved into this 100-year-old house that was split into two apartments. My roommate and I got the upper half of the house, and my bedroom was in the attic. Not long after moving in, I started getting this uneasy feeling that I wasn't alone in my room. I started having nightmares. I'd wake up sweating in the middle of the night, and I felt like I was being watched. Sometimes one corner of my room would be darker than the rest of my room, and I would get that feeling something was there with me. I worked at a horror show a couple towns over for a couple months around Halloween every year. We had a couple of corn mazes, an abandoned house, and an old abandoned schoolhouse. Everyone in that town thought the school was haunted, so it made for the perfect attraction. I would dress up as a murderer and hide in shadows or behind objects and jump out and scare people. I started feeling like I was being followed, though, when I was working. I felt that something was always there messing with me. Now, I had heard what sounded like a group of people coming through the attraction, but when I'd just jumped out to scare them, no one was there. Sometimes I would hear or feel something behind me, even when I was backed into a corner. I figured the work was just getting into my head, and I ignored all of this. In 2012, I moved out of my apartment and moved into a house by the college with some friends. I now had one of the two bedrooms in the basement. One night, I'm sorry, on one of the first nights in my new room, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I saw it. I saw it for the first time. Standing in front of my bedroom door was a dark figure. A shadow darker than the surrounding darkness. I was too scared to move. I would lay there watching it, so scared, until I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. This happened on many other nights. Sometimes it would be at the foot of my bed, sometimes it would be in my closet, and sometimes it would be right next to me. Uh I started doing whatever I could to not sleep, staying up drinking and partying until it was light outside, whatever it took. Then, on one night, I will never forget, I woke up with a feeling of complete terror. I heard the thing in the room above mine. The room belonged to my female roommate. The voice sounded dark and quiet, but I knew it was talking to me. It kept repeating the same thing, but I couldn't tell what it was saying. It got louder. Now it sounded like its mouth was on the floor of my roommate's room above me. I couldn't understand it, though. I could tell that it was phasing through the ceiling into my room. I would open my eyes because I wouldn't open my eyes because I didn't want to see it. But the voice got louder and louder. It was speaking in a language I couldn't understand. And then I started to understand it anyways. It was telling me to go upstairs and kill my roommate. Jesus. It got louder and louder as the thing floated closer to me. And then it got quiet for a second. And then in plain English, I felt its hot breath on my ear and it whispered, kill them. I opened my eyes and started screaming. I was flailing my arms, hitting walls, whatever I could to get someone to come into my room. I was basically crying out for help. The guy in the other basement room came crashing through my door to see what was going on. I told him something was just in my room. Just then, I got a phone call. It was an old coworker of mine. I answered and he asked me if I was okay. Mm -hmm. I told him I'm not sure. He told me that 
I was being followed. This this made me think it might not just be in my head. He said that he was just woken up from a horrible dream where I was running away from something. He said he wanted to do a spiritual cleansing as soon as possible. I looked at the clock and it was just after 3 a.m. I told him I'd be at his house in the morning. I knew this coworker was a devout pagan was a devout pagan witch and we talked about what he does on many occasions and so I trusted him nothing else happened that night here is where it gets really crazy I showed up to his place at about 10 a.m. he brought me into this dark room he had that he called his spirit room Uh he only used this room to store his artifacts tarot cards runes and so on and to do readings and cleansings He had me lay on the ground and he put me into a hypnotic-like state. I was fully conscious but unable to open my eyes or move. It was kind of like a forced sleep paralysis but not at all scary. It was actually very relaxing. He burned some sage or incense and walked around whispering something I couldn't understand. I could definitely feel the presence of that shadow. My coworker stated that he was going to start touching places of my body and to tell him if I could feel anything. He started at my head. I felt nothing. I said no. Then he left. Then he touched my left shoulder. Nothing. Left hand. Nothing. Both hips, knees, feet. Nothing. When he touched my right hand, I felt a tingle move through my arm, and I said, Yes, I feel that. He touched my elbow, and the arm went fully numb and very uncomfortable, and I said, Yes, a little bit louder. As soon as he touched my shoulder, my whole arm felt like it was on fire. It was really hard for me to say yes, but I managed to get it out. I heard him pick up a book and start reading in another language. I think it was Hebrew, but I could be mistaken. The shadow thing burst through my shoulder, and I could see it frantically flying around the room, slamming into walls, screaming its name, screaming in my ear, screaming at my coworker, trying to leave the room or to get back into my shoulder. I don't know. The thing seemed trapped. My coworker kept reading from this book louder and louder and louder. He read and then slam. He slammed the book shut and the shadow just popped out of existence. I suddenly felt calm. I couldn't feel the thing anymore. I felt free somehow. My coworker counted to three and I woke up. He asked me what happened and how it went. I told him everything. Apparently, he had seen none of this. He said I looked like I was in pain as he was reading, and so he began reading faster and faster. He said he had performed a few of these before, but he had never seen results quite like mine. I told my coworker that this thing kept screaming his name, and he told me to never say the name of the thing out loud. Yeek. For years, I haven't seen, nor felt, nor heard this shadow. I felt crazy that this even happened to me. I barely told anybody about this story, but around 2015 or so, I was drinking and telling the story. I got to the name part, and my buddy asked me its name. No. I said I wasn't going to say it, but he convinced me. That was the only time I have ever spoken the name out loud. That night... I saw it again as a reflection reflection in a photo. Still to this day, I see it and or feel it. Usually after I tell the story to someone is when I see it again. I see him in my home, outside at the park, at the bar, work. Usually only a couple times a year, but still he shows up. I've searched the name and I can't find it anywhere online, not even anything close. Anyways, sorry for such a long tale. It wasn't around... Till it wasn't around 
sorry, it wasn't until around 2016 that I found out that shadow people were actually a fairly common thing. I felt a huge weight lifted off my chest once I heard that there were others that have also witnessed similar shadows. This is the first time I've ever told someone outside my friend group this story. I hope my story makes others realize that they aren't alone when they see things. Thanks for all the laughs and the chills. Thanks for your production team for all the great work they do. I look forward to what stories the future holds. Completely anonymous. Okay, I got it. That, that that one definitely gave me some chills. Uh huh. But I also, I gotta get a, a goofy thing just out of my head so I can move on. Okay, let it go. I was just thinking, like, how what a bummer that would be if I like this really scary thing, and then but then as you're telling people the story, like the name of this thing is a super goofy name. Like, like what if it, the name of this thing was like Dingle Hopper Whistle Snap? <laughs> like just something ridiculous. Like sarsaparilla, something or another. <laughs> Like, like Sasperly Spunkmeister. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, if you're just telling the story, it's like, and then I said his name. They're like, what's his name? Like, no, I can't say it. No, you got to say the name. It's Dingle Hopper Whistle Snap. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I can't take that seriously. Um, that's a crazy. Okay. You're an idiot. That made me think of what you were saying earlier about mm-hmm. how, like, um, your belief on, like, the demon-y shadowy things, that it could be somebody from, you know, like, like somebody's ghost or whatever. Right. But that one is, like, that's, like, its own thing. Whatever that thing is. Is it? Seems like it. If or, it's if it's real, you know that's like uh, what the, what the fuck is that? Or the, the, it's or it's the the leftovers of someone who died in that house, someone in his in this guy's lineage. Or like, it, it could be could be anything. anything. But or like an alien. What if they're their own little things? I I don't know why I just don't think that. What if shadow people are just like it's like a like a species, like its own little supernatural species? So like when our kids are at school and they're learning. You know, mammals. Yeah, there's like, you know, like tigers and there's and there's shadow people, amphibians and there's shadow and people. Aliens and, and like, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. There's Dingle Hopper, you know, whatever I said his name Spunk was. Spunkmire Sarsaparillas. <laughs> there's all yeah. sorts of things. But I mean, it is, it is just makes my, yeah, it's, it, it's just interesting to let the imagination go. I'm like, man, what if, okay, if you know, the, going with the hypothesis, you know, the, the premise that all of this is real. All of it. Then there could be like dimensions. Things could maybe just slip out of the wrong dimension sometimes, which that Eep. is kind of the Stranger Things, you know, kind of worldish a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that could be a thing. I mean, maybe that's how, how, and why we have a thing in our house. Maybe, Th- maybe there's a wormhole. Maybe. I mean, that is why people are emailing me, telling me like they know what's in our house. So that's fun. I hope it's Dingle Hopper. <laughs> well, whatever I said. Currently, people think it's coming for you. So, I'm- so sweet. I feel a little bit better. Okay. Because like maybe I'll be left alone. Oh man, I hope it gives me some kind of superpowers. Oh, what did you want? Flamethrowers out of yeah. your hands? Yeah. I said I would make a deal <laughs> if I could have flame hands. Um, okay, now this next story I have to say is a little bit rough in just that like I think it's a little intense. Yeah. And I would like to preface it with saying there cannot be any GTFOs in this story because this family does not have the financial means to get the fuck out. Got it. Okay. 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 So good. Good. So we're good not note. we're not being insensitive. If so we, there's if no, we there's, scream that out, there's no natural. like don't. There's no don't be a Darren. There's no like. There's come not. on, get out of there. Okay. No? Okay. Good. Good uh, preface. No, I, I will say to me, this reads like a family who is like trying to like get ahead in life, and this yeah. is just where they are. Got and it. They have to stay there. Okay. okay. Noted. All right. I would like to share a story that started six months ago. Oh come on, just get the fuck out of the house already. Oh sorry, <laughs> I just wanted to get that out. Now I'm done. You feel better? Yeah. Okay. My family and I live in Colorado at the base of the foothills in a small town right outside of Denver. Okay. We love our little area, and in the summer of 2019, we found ourselves looking for a new home for ourselves, our three kids, and our two dogs to move into. 
As we were driving through my wife's parents' neighborhood one afternoon, we noticed that a large house on a corner lot had just hit the market for rent. We said to ourselves, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But figured as a large property and the neighborhood it was in, it would be out of our price range. But as it turned out, it was right in our comfort zone of the costs we were willing to spend. We set up a tour of the property, and as we walked through the home, we felt a welcoming feeling, almost as if we could see ourselves in this home. We talked about it later that same day and decided to put in the application. This was a Friday afternoon, and so I figured we wouldn't hear anything until the following Monday. Well, much to my surprise, we heard back the very next day. Fast forward to the first day we spent a night in that house. We had been busting our backs to get the essentials into the house before the end of the day. I did all the heavy lifting while my wife spent the afternoon putting together the home. We got all the kids into their rooms and the dogs settled down and everyone in bed by 10 p.m. As we laid down in bed that night, my wife turns to me in the dark and says, Did you hear that? Hear what? I asked. That noise. It, it sounds like a scratching or something trying to get out of the vent, she Ugh. responded. Not being a total Darren, I did get up to check, <laughs> to check it out just to set her mind at ease. I said, I'm sure it's nothing, but I'll check. Just then, a fucking bat blows over ah. my head in the dark and scares the ever-loving hell right out of me. My wife hits the ceiling and bolts for the door. I quickly disposed of our little house guest and calmed my wife down. She says to me several, several more times that she can still hear things, but as I'm so seriously tired at this point, I simply tell her that she's freaked out because the house is older and that we had a little guest that night. Sure. Now, I should say, at this time, I was traveling quite a bit for work, leaving mm-hmm. my wife home alone with our children. As three weeks drove on, I'm sorry, as the weeks drove on, shit got darker and weirder. One night while I was on the road, my wife had her two-year-old in bed with her and woke up to him screaming at the wall in our bedroom room saying, Daddy, hiding! Daddy, hiding! Mom! Mom! My phone rings at 2.45 a.m. and it's my wife who's justifiably freaked out telling me all of this. Just then the phone line goes completely silent. I try to call her back, but I can't get through. Two, three, four times in a row I try calling and for over an hour I'm frantically trying to reach my family. I finally get the phone to connect, only to find out that she'd been also trying to call me. She tells me she also had our oldest daughter try my number, try her grandparents' and her aunt's phone numbers. Nothing worked. No phones at all worked. The next day, while I was still out of town, I called her to FaceTime everyone. She answered the phone and seemed quite agitated. She would not talk to me other than to tell me that she didn't have time for this right now. This was very unlike her. Later that day, we did talk, and she was telling me that our two daughters had stopped sleeping in their rooms, saying they had both seen a shadow standing in the hallway outside the rooms, which were across the hall from one another. Our dogs, two large German shepherds, would randomly start barking and going batshit crazy at nothing, barking and snarling at empty doors and walls. She and I would be on the phone while she was out and about running errands, and no sooner than she would pull into the driveway that the phone would cut out, and it would take over an hour for us to get back in touch with one another. My oldest son from a previous marriage came over to spend the night one time and said he felt uneasy in the house, like he was being watched the entire time, and he has never come over since. We even called a shaman to come out and cleanse the house, and that made a small difference. However, one day I received a piece of mail from the previous tenant, and it had his number on it. I reached out to him to tell him that I had his mail. Oddly, He did say thank you, but asked me if we could meet anywhere away from the property to collect his mail. I didn't think much of it and had to go to the store anyways, so I said we could meet there. 
After I handed him his letter, he asked me a question that I will never forget. Have they woken you up at night yet? He asked. Who? I responded. The two old men, he said. What? I don't know what you're talking about, I said, mostly just to keep my sanity. It had been six months and we still feel and hear shit everywhere. My son will sit on his bed and calmly talk to the monster dad dad. My youngest daughter refuses to use her bathroom, go down to the basement, or sleep without a light on. My wife doesn't sleep through the night either. I have stopped traveling for work now, and we cleanse the house regularly. No crystals yet, but my wife burns sage and candles and has hung amulets and other Native American protection artifacts, such as dream catchers, all around the home. I am a creep by nature, and I do believe in the paranormal, but take a much different stance than most. I grew up in a retired mortuary and had my fair share of odd shit go sideways. We cannot afford to move, and my wife and I do everything within our power, within our decidedly limited power to protect our family. I allow the dogs to roam the house, and we all sleep very little. Every single noise has me up checking the house and checking on the kids. Anyways, sorry for the long-winded tale. Love the show. Huge fan of the suck as well. Oof. That's a crazy story where they're in the thick of it. Yeah, it's just open-ended. Right, right. Like, they're still in the middle of all this. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I have a feeling we're going to hear from him. Like, I would love to hear from him again. Yeah. Like, if you guys get out, if other things happen, like, I would love an update slash, I hope you're okay. Yeah, no kidding. And Maybe you know, get a priest? I mean, it's so it sounds like Native American, and so, like, I don't know how deep into like that culture, like if, if priests are allowed or like if you feel like that's like cross-contaminating with the shaman or like maybe that's not your belief system, but I would I would get a get priest. Everybody. Yeah, I would start there. I mean, obviously don't pick up any Ouija boards or do anything dumb like that. Yeah, what I mean, what, what a terrible thing where um, I always just think about like it's, uh, human nature. Like if you see something by your kids or you think something by the kids, exactly. you're gonna like run to check it out. What a frustrating thing if it's like some paranormal mm-hmm. origin where it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I wonder if there's, if you can talk there. to the landlord. I mean, how does that work? Like, I don't think that violates a lease to have a ghost. But what if you knew, <laughs> what if the previous tenant had told the owner, like, hey, this house is haunted? I still, do you have to I still disclose that? I still don't know that. that no, I don't, I don't think any of that would hold up legally. Well, I don't know because like, I mean, Idaho is, every state is different. I know in Idaho, it's a non-disclosure state. So they don't have to tell you if someone has died in a house. But that's different Unless than a you ghost. ask. Right. So, I mean, I wonder if that kind of falls yeah. in the same I wouldn't think it would. Category? I, I wouldn't think there's any legal, you know, uh, I wouldn't think there's any laws out there about having to disclose anything that you can't prove is real, you know, like where, yeah, like, 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 yeah, like there's a suicide, there was a murder or those kind of things like in the home. Right. That's something that like everybody knows for sure happened. So you have to disclose that. But if you're just like, uh, someone's like, ah, you can't rent this out again and it's haunted. Yeah. I don't think there's any legal standing for (sighs) that. So I don't think, I I don't think you could get any recourse against the landlord. Sadly, I, I was just wondering, I, I don't want to say like recourse. I was just hoping like maybe they could get out and get their security deposit back. I doubt it. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure th- he sounds like a smart guy. Like, yeah, I'm sure that they've investigated all of the options. But I just trying to think like because, you know, I'm a helper My because I'm a maniac. Hmm, my, true. my brain went to a ridiculous place where it's like, what an ideal house. If you're the landlord and you're able to get damage deposits right away. <laughs> that's like the best fucking investment where you have a super haunted house 
and you get people's first and last month's rent deposit uh-huh. and you get it and they don't last and you know they're not going to last more than a few weeks and then you, <laughs> you just get another one and another one and another one and you're like ah thanks ghost you hope the ghost is like putting holes in the wall so you don't have oh. to return the deposits <laughs> right right come on ghost uh, I mostly just feel bad for his kids yeah I mean as adults you can navigate it differently but I just worry about like little ones because then it's like how long is that going to stick with them are they always going to be scared and I'm sure, I, I mean, it sounds like they have those concerns already. Right. Man, yeah, I don't, I don't mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that, like if it was me in that situation, you know, and I'm seeing that, I'm, I'm just going to get every type of shaman, priest, you know. Crystals? W- w- uh, you know what? That situation specifically might, by the end, it wouldn't be, <laughs> why are you, like, why, why are you holding two dicks at first? I wasn't. You, was, I was excited. <laughs> two dicks would be down here, Dan. <laughs> I don't true. think I don't think dicks reach out here. <laughs> I don't know true. whose dick I'm holding on to. I just saw this. Yay! Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, no, I, I would. It would be with the, like the last one of the last resorts, but I would I would probably get crystals in that situation. Yes. Ah, yay! Now, now you've got two dicks. <laughs> Very different. Okay. 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 So I have one more for you. Yeah. I just thought this was a pretty uh, juicy tale, and we are headed back to the woods. Okay. Okay. Which is maybe stupid because I've been taking the kids on like eight million hikes during this. So right. I'm also you're gonna go on a hike right I'm after a this. Fucking idiot, doing this to myself. It, it's daytime though. <laughs> yeah. True. And this hike happens at night, which I like. Okay. Why? Why? Hey there, Dan and Lindsay. My name is Mike, and I'm a longtime fan of The Suck, Scared to Death, and of course Dan's Stand Up. I think I started listening to his Stand Up around the time Dan got huge on Pandora, and I've been a big fan ever since. I started listening to Scared to Death a few months ago, and since then I've been hooked, eagerly waiting each episode. And I especially love you guys' banter about whether crystals are legit conduits of spiritual energy or expensive rocks that don't do jack shit. Fair. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, but I wasn't sure whether I should share my personal supernatural experience with everyone, especially since I feel like a dickhead even saying that I've had supernatural experiences Mm. in the first place. Not to disparage anyone who believes in that stuff, but for most of my life, I've been a hardcore skeptic and a firm denier of anything to do with demons, ghosts, auras, or any other woo-woo paranormal stuff like that. Which is I I get it. That's kind of me too. Yeah, which is part of why I really like this story. Yeah. However... Around November of last year, my perspective on a lot of that sort of things shifted based on a personal experience I had in the woods near my old family home. Okay. Okay. So I really enjoy that setup. Me too. Okay. First, some context. My grandparents used to own a large plot of land in a rural area of the foothills. We're going to fight about this. Of the Appalachian or Appalachian. 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 Boom. By the way, like, sorry to just digress. Like, after the last time we said it, it was very 50 50. Okay. Okay. I'll leave the state out of my description for privacy reasons. Okay. So, we're in the mountains. Okay. Not saying which mountains, even. As a kid slash teenager, I used to visit the farm all the time with my extended family and the occasional friend or two that didn't have anything better to do on a summer vacation. No matter how many times I went or how old I got, my favorite part of visiting my grandparents was always exploring the woods around their house. Since they owned a decent chunk of land in the area, we could wander around for miles and miles and see all the woods had to offer without worrying about running into anyone or straying off their land into someone else's property. I have had many fond memories of playing games and exploring the woods with my cousins and friends as a kid. A few years ago, A few years ago, my grandparents passed away both within a few months of each other, and my mom, aunt, and uncle ended up inheriting joint ownership of the land. 
while my mom and her siblings, excuse me, <coughs> while my mom and her siblings have joint ownership of the farm, no one has lived there full time since my grandparents passed away. Since no one is living on the farm full time, various members of the family visit the place now and again to make sure everything is in order and do regular upkeep work on the house and the land immediately surrounding it. Because of this, I make the drive every six months or so, usually along with my cousin that lives near me, who we'll call Joe for the purpose of this story, when it's our turn to check on things at the farm. Joe and I have been close since childhood and have spent countless hours playing in and exploring around the area of the farm. We know the surrounding woods quite well. I have always been an outdoorsy type of person. Since I live in the city for most of the year with few chances to get away because of work, Mm -hmm. I always make it a point to go for a hike in the woods whenever we visit the farm. Now, for the actual story. This past November, me, Joe, and let's call Joe's wife, Ruth, were on our semi-annual checkup to the farm when something that I still cannot fully wrap my head around happened while we were out on a hike. On this particular evening, it was cold, and while there was no snow on the ground, my breath was clearly visible, and the leaves on the ground were covered in a layer of frost that made a distinct crunching sound as we walked along. Mm -hmm. That day, Ruth had decided to stay in the house, as the weather was far too cold for her liking, and she just wasn't an outdoorsy person. We started the hike, just like any other, with Joe and I walking down the familiar path into the woods. Whenever we would go on a hike in the area, we would have a set path that we would follow. It's about a four-mile round-trip hike with a pretty gnarly-looking old tree at the top of a decent-sized hill marking the halfway point where we would turn around and leave the woods via the same path we came in. On the first half of the trip, everything proceeded as normal, with Joe joking around most of the time and us just having a generally good time as usual. The trip back to the farm, however, was where things started to get weird. After reaching the old tree that marked the halfway point of our trip and following the path to the farm for about five minutes, we spotted something very odd. We rounded a turn, and to our surprise, we saw that a huge dead oak tree had fallen over directly on the path in front of us. While the tree itself did not block our progress back to the house as we were able to climb over it quite easily, neither Joe nor I had a good explanation for how it got there. Mm -hmm. We were very familiar with this path, having walked it many times over the years, and neither of us seemed to have a recollection of this massive tree that was now suddenly in front of us. Even if the tree was always there and we had somehow missed it, how did it fall over into our path without us hearing it? We had been at this exact spot on the trail no more than 10 minutes ago, and it didn't seem plausible that we would have not heard a big tree like this come crashing down, given how far away we were when it must have happened. Mm -hmm. After talking for a minute, Joe and I ultimately just shrugged it off, thinking that maybe the surrounding woods had deadened the sound of the tree falling and that we must have not noticed this tree on our trips ever before down this trail. About 15 minutes after passing the fallen tree, the sun started going down, and if I'm being honest, I was starting to get a bit spooked. While I have always been a skeptic about all things to do with energies and paranormal feelings, I have never felt as unnerved as I did during that hike back to the house. The air seemed frigid, and while it was November, it was unseasonably cold that afternoon. We live in the South, and while they're not warm by any stretch, the winters here never get that cold. Mm -hmm. Only wearing a hoodie and jeans, which was normal around this time of year, I suddenly felt half frozen. The worst part of it, though, was how quiet things were. 
One thing I've always found funny about the woods is how much ambient sound you don't realize is going on around you Mm -hmm. until it's suddenly gone. The normal sounds of the wind rustling the tree leaves, the sounds of birds chirping, the sounds of rabbits and squirrels and other animals running through the bushes. I couldn't hear any of it. An eerie, unnerving silence hung over the place, with the crunch of the leaves under our shoes being the only thing I could hear. I read somewhere that when the forest goes quiet, it could mean that a predator is around as all the animals try to stay quiet to avoid being eaten. I was having fun mulling that thought over in my brain for a while, and we had a fairly uneventful hike in those conditions until we were about a half a mile away from the exit of the forest. By this point, the sun had gone completely gone. Sorry. By this point, the sun had completely set and it was pitch dark except for the faint moonlight and the light from our phones, which we used as flashlights to see the path in front of us. Right as we reached the top of the hill on the trail, we heard a loud crash behind us in the ravine below. Joe and I both turned to see what happened and saw something that I am still struggling, struggling to accept as real today. The branches overhanging the path on either side of the trail behind us were broken and mangled, with several lying on the ground. It looked as if something had pulled down on the branches with tremendous force and snapped them off the tree trunks, sending wood splinters and leaves everywhere. Joe and I were both looking over the damage, speechless, when suddenly I heard it. It took a second for me to register, but after a moment I recognized the sound as a deep, slow breathing. Each breath, whatever it was, took sent shivers down my spine. The breathing sounded low and guttural, as if it came from a large animal. I thought for a moment it could be a bear or some other large animal that had wandered down from the mountains, but bear sightings are extremely rare in that area, and there was something unnerving and totally unnatural about the breath that this thing took. For a few seconds, Joe and I stood motionless, not daring to move a muscle, and that's when I saw it fog like the fog from a person's breath it was rising up from behind a tree about 40 or 50 feet in the direction of the broken trees in the ravine peeking out from behind the tree i saw a large shadowy figure in the shape of a man but inhumanly tall with a grotesquely twisted and misshapen body made up almost explicitly of black mist or smoke he had almost no distinguishing features except for one his eyes he looked like the he looked like the human eyes at first, but in reality, it was like two human eyeballs were suspended in the smoke that made up the things of this body. And I swear, it felt like that thing was looking into my goddamn soul. One look was all I needed to tell me that this thing, whatever it was, meant us harm. And that is when, and that is when more than capable of doing, and it was going to do more than it was capable of. I looked over to Joe and screamed at him to run and proceeded to sprint faster than I ever have in my whole life. We both bolted down the path as fast as our legs would take us, with Joe slightly ahead of me and me slightly behind him. I could hear loud crashes following us as we ran, as what I can only assume was the amount of noise was tree branches being torn to the ground by this thing. I did not dare to look back the entire time and kept sprinting at full tilt following Joe down the path until we finally reached the open field that led to the farmhouse. I thank my lucky stars that we were on a familiar path that day, because if we had decided to take a different route through the woods, I just don't know. I don't know if we would have made it out of there alive. After reaching the tree line, we ran all the way back to the house, not looking back at the forest once, until we were inside and every lock on every door was latched. 
Ruth, Joe's wife, was understandably surprised by our sudden bursting into the home, but neither of us said a word to her. Instead, we cut on, we put on every exterior light in the house, which was enough to light up the land all the way to the tree line, and we both watched the area of the woods that we had just left for quite a while through the windows. We saw no sign of anything having followed us. It seemed that whatever we saw out there had stayed in the woods, and there was no sign of anything on the farm being out of place. After a while of watching the tree line, Joe and I eventually pulled ourselves together enough to talk about what we had seen and to share it with Ruth. We explained what we saw and tried to convince ourselves that it must have been some large predatory animal like a bear, some psycho dude out in the woods messing with us, or maybe some weird paranoid hallucination we had due to the creepy vibe of the forest that night. Coming up with any remotely plausible logical explanation seemed like a better option than admitting that what we saw was real. The kicker, though, is that no matter how much I have tried to convince myself otherwise, since November, deep down, I still have the feeling that what I saw was no hallucination and was surely not a bear. Wishing you both all the best. I hope all the creeps and peepers out there are living their best demon-free <laughs> lives as well. Thanks, Mike. Yee, thanks, Mike. Man, thanks for sending that in. That's uh, Yeah, that's a crazy story. Like, what? I mean... Again, there's just so many weird possibilities. Like, what? Right. You know, if, like, what he saw was not his imagination then what the fuck is that right and again like i just appreciate his setup of like super skeptical guy yeah he knew this area he was there with his cousin who also knew this right. area i mean they're both super familiar with the woods and and the fact that there really probably couldn't be a bear yeah you know just just yeah, be yeah, a yeah. highly populated area or what have you well and in but, the south too it's like that's there's just not well that's not, not their climate yeah, yeah exactly so it's like what the fuck was that yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just yeah, that was that was that was just a great though the way it was all laid out, all the details really yeah. kind of like you know put me in the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made me think about we had a fan story a while back about a guy who, um, if you recall, he would go hiking in the woods also by his grandparents. Oh yeah, and then seeing the extra bean that was kind of like like didn't show like that person that was on the trail but was on the trail. Like oh that, no, that's that story. that's the running story. Oh, no, the, I'm yeah. thinking of it was a gentleman and he would go out hiking in those woods and then he heard his wife calling his name but it wasn't his wife. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, are there things living in the know. in the woods? Creepiest part of that story to me was just the uh, I totally understand that um, the lack of the uh, ambient sounds in the in the woods that alone would freak me the fuck out. Right. Because yeah, you don't notice it until whatever reason, like it's gone for some reason. But like yeah, when you're out in the woods, there is constant little noises, especially right. when you're way away from a city and you can really hear them. Mm -hmm. Little insects. I mean, it's like less in the winter can be a little eerie. Sure. If you it's know, cold. yeah, because it's cold and some of the animals are you know they're hibernating mm -hmm. or they're just you know. Maybe during the day they're nocturnal, so they're just kind of like hunkered down. But yeah. that's the eeriest thing, and then just and and to think about it, totally silent, totally other silent. than the sounds of your of crunching those leaves, that'd be so eerie. And then to just look up and see like, <sighs> yeah. that kind yeah. of like mist yeah, yeah, yeah. that comes from your mouth. Ooh, I'd, be, I'd be running too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So thanks yeah. for that. Yeah, thank you. Eek, 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 eek. Are we gonna be okay this week? We're gonna be we're okay gonna make this it? week. We're gonna be. I, I always think we're gonna be okay. I think we're gonna be fine. Okay. Yep, I think we're gonna be okay. Um, you're gonna get, you're gonna enjoy Stranger Things. It's not gonna be too scary. You're gonna fight through it. Okay, we'll see. Okay. We'll see about that. Okay, all right, we're gonna all do right. it. The 
kids want to watch it. They're okay. I know it is pretty funny actually Mon- watching Monroe it. offered, I love that Monroe offered for you to come um, snuggle with her last night. Yeah, she said if I got scared and didn't have to wake you up, I could just come sleep with her. Mm-hmm. She'd probably be more comforting than me. Probably. Also, I do think that both of our kids were like a little spooked by the show because they both kept being those people that you don't want to watch a scary show with. Oh, yeah. Making kind of like, oh, yeah, funny. Okay. Way to put in the racist joke there, like Kyler, like with those, like the kids at school, or like he's like, oh yeah, okay, that's what I would do. Like very, I was like, okay, okay. But then also immediately, can we watch another one? Can we watch another one? Uh Which is a good sign that you're a little bit spooked by something, but you're really into it. Where you're just like, oh, all right, well, no, okay, whatever. Can we please watch another one? Yeah. Can we please watch the next episode? (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing those listener stories. Those are very spooky. I got the chills multiple times. Yay. And uh, thanks for continuing to listen to our scary stories. That's all for today. Please keep sending in your stories. Love, love, love the My Stories. So good. My Story at ScaredToDeathPodcast.com. For everything else, email us uh, info at ScaredToDeathPodcast.com. Correct. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, watching Scared to Death, Bad Magic Production. Thanks to the Bad Magic Productions team. Excuse me. Harmony Velikamp, Joe Paisley, Zach Flannery. Zach running the running the show today. Yay, Zach! Under Joe's uh, tutelage. Uh, thanks to Sophie Evans uh, for helping find stories. Such thanks. a weird word. Tutelage? Yeah. Yeah, for him being... I think I used it correctly, though. Uh, I don't know. It just sounds like you called him a toot master. Thanks for being a toot master. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> thanks for really mentoring his toots. Uh, <laughs> what a weird job that would be, to be the toot master. Ah, you're doing it wrong. You just mm-hmm. got to squeeze harder. And Stop it, gross. Push out less. Stop. You're the one who brought it up. Thanks to... Uh, I didn't ask for details. Joe Paisley, Zach Cohn, and Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds. Heather Rylander for taking over the My Story at ScaredToDeathPodcast.com. Emails. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast and subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch. And I'm going to gross my wife out by – she brought up one of our dogs. We call Ugh. her Penny Poopers. She had diarrhea the other day. And I say now she's Penny Squirts. It's disgusting. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness. And remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 